Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Live from Trackside, this is IMSA Radio. Hello everybody and welcome along to a very special programme. Uh, this, if you like, is previously on IMSA. As we're getting ready to go racing again, the green flag is almost in sight to be waved as IMSA and the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship gets underway this Saturday. And of course we'll have qualifying and the race for you in sound and vision uh, for everybody for qualifying uh, and in vision for those of you outside the US you can get track pass and don't forget Michelin have a number of free track pass subscriptions for a year as well if you're in the USA well we're looking forward to that we hope you you are as well and to help me just remind ourselves and you the listener about what's been happening I'm delighted to welcome along uh, Shay Adam and Jeremy Shaw Shay uh, welcome back to what is effectively now IMSA competition. This is like another a preview. So welcome back to IMSA, to IMSA Radio and to IMSA competition. It seems a long time, does it not, <laughs> since we were all together at Daytona. It seems like a lifetime ago that uh, the Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona took place, but it was still 2020. It does still have championship implications for the remainder of this season, which has been extended into the middle of November. Races have been shuffled around. We're going to be going different places than we thought we were going to be going at different times of the year. I mean, who'd have thought that we'd be back in Daytona in July of yeah, all times? So that, it's uh, it's quite a catch-up. That, that's a fair point. We'll look at the revised calendar at the moment. Jeremy Shaw, um, July and Daytona. Well, you and I have been around long enough to remember the July races and sports car races at Daytona. I went to one oh, in the Grand Am days. When was that? Maybe 2010, 2009. I was I was there for that. So there is a rich history. This this date for Daytona hasn't been plucked out the year. It used to be called the Paul Revere, did it not? Indeed. So yeah, took Paul Revere 250 for for many many years and. Uh, Uh, There is a a long history here, you're absolutely right, and it's certainly going to be very, very different though for the teams when they get back here in July as to compare to when we were there for the 24 hours in January. Uh, And as Shea mentioned, Jeremy, all moving around, so for the first two events we are in Florida, the IMSA WeatherTech 240 at Daytona will kick things off this Saturday, then to Sebring on July the 16th. Uh, uh, and through to the 18th when we add Michelin Pilot Challenge and Porsche GT3 Cup uh, America as well. And those first two events, um, really, we need to get those underway, don't we? Just to see how it's all going to work, all kinds of new rules, regulations in place because of the, the fact that we need to have social distancing. And the teams will have to get used to that as much as we will. Yeah, it's been a major learning curve, an awful lot of procedures and protocols to get used to. 
Uh, most of the teams, I mean, they haven't been on track. They haven't, there's been a testing ban, so they haven't been out on track at all, supposedly, uh, um, <laughs> since uh, since they were racing at Daytona in uh, you know, way, way back. Um, there might have been a couple of teams maybe did some testing at Sebring before the shutdown, but uh, I, I'm not even sure about that, to be perfectly honest. But it is going to be very, very different. And, and for the teams, you know, they've been able to concentrate on getting those protocols down so they're not going to be running afoul of any health and safety issues as the weekend progresses but you know for all the overseas drivers that are involved in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship well that's been a major headache mm. uh, um, but uh, thankfully IMSA has worked together with the uh, the governmental authorities to make sure that everybody who needs to get into the country has been able to most have been here for at least a couple of weeks to make sure they've complied with any potential quarantine regulations that might have been imposed uh, i think actually i was getting slightly too excited here it's the uh, lmp3 the prototype challenge along with michelin pilot challenge at, at sebring but for this weekend we only have to concentrate on the WeatherTech sports car championship and when we last were all together that was at the end of the rolex 24 at daytona and uh, let's let's start at the sharp end uh, of the field um, we had uh, the great great result for for mazda in second place and they'll now come here uh, to daytona at the weekend for the first time as the multimatic run uh, and named team because the contractual agreement with Joost ran out in March. So it was the, the Cadillac, the Ryan Briscoe, Scott Dixon, Camille Kobayashi and Renga Fontesanda, the uh, number 10 car that won. And then ahead of uh, the Oli Jarvis, Oli Plant, Tristan Nunes car in second place. They've all got to pick up where they left off, haven't they? Correct. And for the Cadillac team, well, for the prototype class, DPI, it's very simple. Everyone who ran at the 24 hours is back. They oh, okay. are doing full season. So that takes away any sort of concern as to wondering what teams are going to be running. But for the Cadillac teams, they come off a very strong run, a consistency of winning the Rolex 24 hours. How have they done it? Not on straight out speed, although Ranger Van de Zander did have the fastest lap during the race. They've done it on being there, on being smart, on strategy. And a lot of the drivers that I've even talked to so far are worried about the straight line speed of the Acura, but more so that Mazda that you were just talking about. Ollie Jarvis has put the Mazda on pole two years in a row for the 24-hour race. Now, very different conditions when we come back in July to January. It's going to be hot. Nobody is quite sure how their cars are going to run in the heat and humidity of a Florida summer, as opposed to when we're there in the winter, when, believe it or not, it's really dry for Florida conditions. Mm. There is going to be that wet stuff falling out of the sky. I'm sorry. It's Florida in July. It happens. It will rain at some point. It's just a matter of when. And for the Cadillac teams, they're depending not necessarily on their the fact that they have so many watches over the last few years <laughs> to say, hey, we know how to win here. They're more thinking it will come down to pit stops and the guys on the pit lane doing their jobs well to win them the race. Uh, no LMP2 championship points because uh, Daytona, for anyone who did go with an LMP2, wasn't around. And neither will this one be either. So that, I think, she means we haven't got any LMP2s here. Nobody's decided to come. Uh, well, they aren't invited to come and play, as a matter right. of fact. This is a DPI, GTLM, and GTD race only. Okay. And having said that, 26 cars in the field is a phenomenal turnout. 
I'm impressed with that, Jeremy, because, you know, with all the uncertainty and with a, a large element, certainly in uh, the GTD uh, and to a certain extent uh, in uh, the, well, there are one or two in the DPI, but th- th- certainly in GTD, there's a lot of gentlemen drivers in there and financial situation being uh, what it is, very uh, difficult for some people to, to justify that. And in fact, our championship leaders in GTD, the Paul Miller racing car, Brian Sellers and Madison Snow, the full season cars. They had Corey Lewis and Andrea Calderalli uh, with them. Uh, they won't be here for at least the first two rounds, which will uh, leave uh, the Lamborghini. Oh, no, hang on a second. Um, that's not here either, although Andy Lally uh, and Spencer Pompelli may well have got themselves drives, but I, I don't think the second place car's here. So we go down. Yeah, yeah that's going to be here. The, the Magnus car's here. The Magnus car is, is going to be here. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Um, um, the Lamborghinis and the uh, the Audis certainly had the upper hand in GTT at the 24 hours. But this is going to be a very different animal. This is a proper sprint race, albeit the circuit is the same. But mentality, Jeremy, very different. And, and probably just a couple of drivers, their full season drivers in the cars. Um, what do we talk about, GTD? Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, no. It's a re- it's a regular it's it's the regular uh, championship round for for the uh, uh, for the uh, for the for the overall championship. It's also, as you say, the first weekend of the uh, the sprint, sprint cup as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, it's it's uh, yeah, it's not a bad field. Uh, Twenty six cars. We're down a little bit. I mean, as, as Shay was saying, yeah, all the prototype cars are here, which is great. All the GTLM cars here uh, are great. Uh, GTD. I know we, I, we were certainly expecting a few more or hoping for a few more at the beginning of the season. But uh, as you've alluded to, there's at least uh, uh, at least a couple um, and probably three or four that uh, might well have been here. Well, I can think of three now. The FAF car, yep. the, um, the FAF Porsche. Uh, as you say, the championship leaders, the Paul Miller Racing Lamborghini. That's a great shame not to see that car here. And also the second of the Wright Motorsports Porsches yeah, uh, is not, not here. Uh, and... Um, so yeah, that that's three right away, and and there's a there's a couple more that were kind of on the verge, were they not? So, but still, it's a super competitive field, uh, and it is going to be very different. Uh, you know, if you, if uh, if you make a mistake uh, in a 24 hour race early on in a 24 hour race, you've got a long time to make up any deficits you might point. have created for yourselves. Uh, whereas in a, a two hour a 40 minute race, uh, not so much. Uh, and and Shea, being the first round uh, of. Uh, the shorter the sprint the Michelin um, uh, Sprint Cup Championship, uh, the Sprint Cup Championship, um, it does mean that we've got a, a couple. Are we welcoming back certainly uh, a couple of drivers, uh, Mark Miller and Till Bechtelsheimer uh, with Gradient and the NSX. First time we've seen uh, th- that team with that name. Uh, they were. Uh, playing in the SRO Championship in the States last year. Those cars last seen with CJ Winston Motorsport when we saw them. So we, we have got the advantage of that shorter uh, Sprint Cup uh, season kicking off here. Might put them at a little disadvantage, though, because they've not had the running at the track that some of their competitors have had at the Raw before and, of course, for the 24 hours. It does, but also when you consider the other two additions that we've had to the Sprint Championship, one of them being Compass Racing with their McLaren, that car has zero running on the high banks of Daytona. So that's going to be an issue for them trying to get their data in the Friday night practice and then going into the Saturday afternoon practice qualifying and race. 
for Hardpoint, they're coming in with their Audi. The Audi, as you mentioned previously, finished third at the Rolex 24. All right, it was a different team, but Audi still has that information that they can then give to this new coming team. So there is a little bit of help there. For Gradient, they do have other NSXs that they can rely on. Acura will be sharing that information. So they, they aren't quite as far on the back foot as we thought, but we're really happy to have those three sprint-only teams in the championship. As Jeremy referenced, we were supposed to have another entrant from Wright. That was a car that dropped out. But uh, who knows? We could be seeing more cars coming in as the season progresses because a lot has happened in a short amount of time. And there are teams like Paul Miller Racing, like Gear, who were forced to miss the July rounds but are hoping to be back in August. Uh, and as far as... Uh... GT Le Mans, uh, as Jeremy said, we've got everybody here at BMW come into uh, this race as the uh, the last winners. That everybody says you're only as good as your last result. Well, they were the best at their uh, last result, uh, and quite clearly, uh, the BMW suited uh, suited Daytona in the colder uh, conditions. The, the GT Le Mans cars have slightly more flexibility and certainly more choice when it comes to tyre compounds. And I know that Michelin, for the uh, the single uh, tyres tyre classes that they're using, single tyre compound classes, are going to be using the, the harder tyre. But it was BMW from Porsche and Porsche at the 24. Any reason to think that the sprint side of things might change that? You know, Has the long layoff for Corvette... Uh, given them an opportunity to to sharpen their weapon, if you will? It has, as a matter of fact. Uh, They have been doing significant amounts of testing that they've been allowed to do once the testing ban had been lifted a little bit. Back up in Michigan, there have been Corvette engineers working inside of the parameters to what they were able to do to try and improve on this brand new car to make it something that would be more competitive. BMW winning the Rolex two years in a row now, remember, one of those being a rain race, a significant rain race. Mm -hmm. So BMW are feeling pretty good about coming into this weekend. Porsche know that they brought in a new car, but that was no excuse for them because the last time they brought in a new car was 2014 and they wound up walking away with the watches then. For Corvette Racing, they're doing everything that they can within their power to try and make sure that their new C8R comes out much better than it did in January. Yeah, totally agree. Well, I mean, the car was pretty darn good out of the box, was it not? I mean, yeah. who would have thought the car would be pretty much on the on the on the lead pace all the way through the race yes bmw definitely had the advantage at the 24 hours and that's why the with the new balance performance uh, tweaks that were unveiled uh, at the end of last week the bmw that's been going to be pegged back just a little bit uh, slight very very minute reduction of the uh, of the uh, uh, the boost of the of the turbo engine uh, by it's only about two horsepower so minimal there but they've got a the the the, uh, the rear wing angle has been increased by four uh, degrees so that's going to certainly give a bit more drag it's going to slow the car down a little bit on the straight no question about it so that is going to bring the car back i think into the realm of of equality or relative equality with the Porsche, which is absolutely unchanged in its specification from Daytona. The Corvette, they've got a little bit of a, a of a power hike. The restrictor has been enlarged by uh, two tenths of a millimeter, which is not very much, but it should give them another may, maybe three horsepower to, to get that car a little bit closer. But that that Corvette also has got a a, a slightly 
steeper rear wing angle as well. So a little bit more drag on the Corvette as well. So, you know, the, the technical staff there at IMSA, they've been pouring over the data and they've had a long time to do so since the 24 hours. And those are the tweaks they've come up with in the GTLM class. And as we've said already, it was pretty darn close uh, right out of the box at Daytona for 24. And it should be even closer now. Tantalizing prospect, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, that GT Le Mans class, people, you, 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 OK, we don't have as many cars as we would like in it, Shea, but you, you can't overlook that. It's the, it's the first, it's the, the fastest of the, the GT classes. And we absolutely can't overlook that for a battle, particularly, I think, in the shorter format. Goodness me, we had a decent enough battle uh, over 24 hours. And, and those guys, and I've spoken to a few of those drivers. I, I had a long chat with, with Tandy uh, during the, the big pause, as the responsible adult uh, is, is calling it. They are raring to go. Of all the drivers, those guys, the works guys, and they are all factory drivers there, they are absolutely straining at the leash to get going again. They are. And it's really funny when you talk to them as opposed to some of the other drivers in the field who have they're, they're ready to get back to racing, but it's not their whole life. It's not everything that they know how to do. And that's what it is for these factory guys. So they've been finding new ways to ex- express that competitiveness. A lot of them have been biking even more than normal, you know, yes. riding the cycles, but they've been setting sector times and trying to compete with one another. Hey, I can ride a mile faster than you can. Go, go Love try it. and beat me. Like Love they're, it. they are just little children. Um, but it's, <laughs> it's like what Jeremy said, you know, you look at the, the BOP and how much closer they've made it. It's interesting to note also that the only car in the entire field that had its weight altered was that BMW with 15 kilos added. Now you might think that's unfair, but it is still 25 kilos lighter than the next car in class in GTLM. Uh, just the two Corvettes, the two Porsches and the two BMWs. We were hoping we might see the Ferrari of Risi. That hasn't happened. Uh, Fred Mack, uh, Fred Makovecki, Nick Tandy. That's the new pairing, if you didn't pick that up, uh, in the 911. And Lawrence Van Turn, Old Bamba, stay together for Porsche. Uh, and Porsche slightly stung, I think, Jeremy, um, by, by not winning at Daytona. They've, they've sort of got themselves into a groove in some of these longer races in the past season and a half, two seasons, and, and they'll want to come out the traps even better than they did. Second and third at the Rolex, they'll want to go two places better there. Yeah, they certainly will. And, uh, you know, as you say, they're all, everybody, everybody, well, in the entire field is chomping the bit ready to go racing again. No question about that. I mean, the Porsches were certainly, uh, were certainly quick at uh, the 24, uh, but the BMWs did it. They certainly had that straight line edge. Uh, on the rest of the field and we're going to have to see yeah and and since then of course what they have what the other thing they've been keeping busy with in the uh, during the pause has been the uh, the IMSA iRacing Pro Invitational the sim racing series which was dominated by BMW mm. BMW drivers so uh, it's going to be interesting to see I know that they they're wanting to continue that dominance into the real season now but as you say Porsche and Corvette they are going to be pushing hard to uh, turn the tables uh, we've sort of said our farewells in a in a sort of odd way to one of the biggest characters uh, in the paddock never mind in GT Le Mans that's Dan Binks from from Corvette Racing he's decided to step aside and as far as I'm aware he's that that's effective immediately he won't even be doing the rest of uh, of the season 
Correct. Uh, Dan is now retired. He's enjoying his retirement. Uh, and there is a new person who will be car chiefing the number three Corvette, which is the first time that I think that's ever been said, yeah. <laughs> uh, because Dan has had that role for a very long time. Grant Weaver is a name that not very many people might know. He is now the crew chief for Corvette Racing as Dave Marin has moved into Dan's old position. But Grant is uh, one of the refugees from the Ford GT program. Ah. So it's interesting that Corvette Racing has picked him up and we'll have to see how he fits in. But unbelievable amount of pressure for that man stepping into uh, the role of Dan Banks and then to consider you're running at the exact same track that they already ran at this year where that car finished in fourth Good luck, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. Grant's been around this sport a long, long time. Long time. I mean, he is a great guy. He was at, he'd been at Ganassi for for many many years. He was on the IndyCar program there. Prior to that, he was with the TWR Jaguars back in the old IMSA days, a long, long, long time ago. So uh, yeah, he's uh, massively experienced as Grant Weaver, and that team will not miss a beat. You, you don't replace a guy like Dan Binks, but with the appointment they have made, uh, they have certainly find, found someone who is very worthy and has a huge amount of experience, Jeremy. And, it, and, and what's more, he's got big team experience. It won't faze him going into Corvette racing, and he, I think he'll fit right in there, to be honest. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, you know, he, there's nothing that Grant doesn't know about this sport. There's nothing he hasn't seen, been, and done. So, uh, you know, great, uh, great, great to see him. Uh, his name, from from my perspective, great to see his name back at the forefront well, again. Exactly. Because, uh, like I say, he's been there for many, many, many years in this sport, and uh, has is one of the. You know, he, he's one of the most respected guys in the paddock. Even though, as Shay says, he might not be a household name, but he's certainly one of the most respected name names in the uh, in American road racing paddocks. Uh, if uh, if I was to tie you to a tree and uh, poke sharp sticks at you, what do you think then? Is it BMW, is it Porsche, or is it Corvette, Jeremy? Yes. Yeah, I know, that's how <laughs> I feel. Sheer? Is, I mean, BMW clearly, ha- you know, they're slight favourites just because of the, the result. But, you know, effectively, we're restarting here. It's a diff- different time of year. It's a different length of race only thing that hasn't changed is the track it's it's true um the thing that i worry about is of course the rain because weather will be a factor remember when the two porsches last year at sebring when it started raining they both seemed to drop to the back for some reason which was really strange so i'm still not entirely convinced that they'll be able to drive to the front if it's a dry race i think the porsches will be very strong and they should come away with a win given how close they've been uh, second and third in january but also when you consider back to last year they were very close at the end of that one too before the red flag came out if it does rain though I'm looking the way of Corvette. I think they've had enough time to go through their computers and look at the data to see what needs to be improved on this new C8R. I think they're going to come out with their fists held high. Let's head into GT. Yeah, I, Sorry, go I ahead. Think just, just, just talking briefly about that weather, Shay. Uh, when does it tend to rain in Florida in the summertime? At what time always. of day? Always. Always, no, but it, it, it's, it's oh, okay. late afternoon, early evening, isn't exactly. it? Exactly, that, that's yeah. quite. And when's the race the, taking place? That'll be early evening. Late afternoon. <laughs> the other thing, though, guys, is that the weather forecast, the, ex- the extended weather forecast for this race, has had it with severe thunderstorms the entire weekend through. That is now showing every single day that the weather forecast will extend to. 
So it's oh, not wow. only just a Saturday Sunday issue. This is an issue where if the race gets rained out on Saturday, it could get rained out. Period. Right. Okay. I, I think it's uh, it is six. Is it five o'clock or six o'clock? Uh, six o'clock yes. local right. time. Yeah, six o'clock local time. So it's it, it's bang, it's bang on there. Let, let's head on in this previously on IMSA uh, preview to the restart of the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship season this weekend at Daytona. Let's head into GT Daytona. In Vassar Sullivan, Jeremy, twelve and fourteen cars for the Lexus. Been a, a change there in the the number fourteen car. Jack Hawksworth has got. Uh, a new teammate and a young man who you know quite well. Yeah, Aaron Tielitz, uh from from Wisconsin. He's been uh, a standout in the road to India over the last half a dozen years. Uh, actually, he, there's, there's only only one driver has had more top five finishes in road to India history than Aaron Tielitz. Uh, he's, he's he made his debut with his team last year at Daytona. Uh, with the Aimvassar Sullivan Lexus team, uh, very impressive he was then. He drove for them again uh, in a, another couple of races last year and at Daytona this time around. And with Parker Chase having uh, decided to kind of step back from from this level, he's going to be racing instead in the Michelin Pilot Challenge, uh, and he'll be uh, starting off the season there at Sebring in a couple of weeks' time with the Brian Herder Autosport team. Uh, this is a, this has opened the door for Aaron, Aaron now to make his full season debut. Uh, in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. He, uh, as you might imagine, is massively excited by this opportunity. And uh, he and Jack Hawksworth, that is going to be a very, very strong combination. Uh, and believe it or not, Aaron uh, drove a merchandise trailer at the track a few uh, at various points last year, just so he could get to the track, underlining just how much he is a, a gearhead and a race fan. And I think it's great that he's got this opportunity. It's Frankie Monte Calvo and Townsend Bell in the other car, by the way. That is unchanged. Uh, MSR, 86 and 57. Matt McMurray and Mario Farnbacker in the 86, the 57. Misha Goikberg and Alvaro Parent uh, back there again for... The uh, Mayor Shank Racing Team share uh, a win for Misha in 16, but that wasn't in this class, was it? No, that was in the PC category. Yeah. Um, Misha will be eager to get back to Daytona to, again to put it behind him because he drove an opening stint in the car that was just under three hours. And when he got out of the car, he could barely walk. His leg was cramping so badly. It was the first time that he'd had a long stint in the car. And it didn't exactly fill him with that little happy feeling that you get. He did get back in the car later in the race, and he did sort of get that um, uh, nervousness out of his system. But it's still something. He's had five months to think about driving the car, the seat position, what he can do to make it better. So he and Al have been talking throughout this whole period of time, trying to figure out how to make that 57 uh, Heimacher Racing with Meyershank Racing car a lot better. That's going to be something to watch. The other thing, though, John, if you want to feel like you have wasted this period of time not really doing very much with your life, look no further than Matthew McMurray, who has graduated with a degree in aerospace engineering. So uh, he's quite an accomplished young man. He's the LMP2 champion from last year paired back up with Mario Farnbacher. They were 10th at the race in January. This is not a track that Matt has traditionally done well at. But it's something that they both have been talking about, he and Mario, how they can improve. And they both know how to win championships, obviously. 
they're thinking about getting out of here with points. Uh, third different manufacturer in three teams if we move down to Scuderia Corsa. Cooper McNeil and Tony Vlander back together again in the 63 car. And, and Jeremy, the variety of manufacturers here in this GT Daytona class is absolutely outstanding. That uh, Ferrari uh, in red, white and blue, or white, red and blue, it's mainly uh, white, uh, this uh, coming weekend, it is of course, uh, Independence Day weekend, big holiday in the US, and we've often seen a few uh, specialised liveries for that down through the years in uh, IMSA competition. Uh, Cooper and Tony, uh, they've sort of settled, settled now uh, into the WeatherTech Racing team, into Scuderia Corsa and the Ferrari after a couple of years of sort of swapping around vehicles. They've settled to that Ferrari now. Yeah, shocking, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it was fantastic. Nine different manufacturers. Uh, the Aston Martin, unfortunately, is not here no. this weekend. Uh, won't be here this weekend. But uh, it is a fantastic entry all the way up and down. And, yeah, the Ferrari, you know, it's always knocking on the door, isn't it? And yeah. uh, I think this is going to be a certainly good opportunity for Cooper McNeil and Tony Villander to, uh, to, to come away with another strong result here. They finished fourth in the 24 hours and... Uh, that car was certainly competitive there. Uh, yeah, and, and Koopman knows the track very well because he's done a lot of Ferrari racing around here in the single manufacturer racing as well. 96 Turner uh, in the hands of Robbie Foley and Bill Orbland. Oh, I don't even know what we say about those two. It's pretty much all been said now, Shea, to be honest. It has. They've really settled into a nice pairing, have Robbie and Bill, and Turner have really built themselves around that duo. Now, Bill has gotten a pole position and a win at the 24 Hours of Daytona. That was in 1998. That was when Robbie was mm, three years old, I think it was. That might have been the year he was <laughs> born, actually. Don't tell him that. But, oh, no, I told him that all the time. It's fantastic. Sorry, Jeremy. Sorry, go ahead, Jeremy. One and a half. One and, One and a half. half. One and a half. Robbie was born yeah. in 96. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> but in terms of people who are going to come into this race – not complain, go out there, put their heads down, smile the whole time because they just get to drive a race car. And because it's a Turner Motorsport BMW, you know it's going to be a competitive one. That's these two. With who is left in the championship for a full season as of right now, Bill and Robbie are serious championship contenders. They know that, and they have already told me that this race, yeah, they want to go out and win it, but they also know that they need to get as many points as they can because they're trying to pull away from the other people in case they happen to come back. Well, and the old adage, Jeremy, is, you know, particularly at the sharp end of the season, if you've got a third-place car, then you need to finish third. If it's a fourth-place car and you finish third, you've done well. If it's a a third-place car and you finish fifth, then you've done badly. But when you think in championships, getting, getting points on the board early in the year is never a bad thing. No, it's not. And uh, you know, as you say, with, with Bill's experience and Robbie Foley, boy, he's come on, hasn't he, the last Brilliant. 18 months or so. Yeah. He's really upped his game and uh, he's fast now. He's consistent. They didn't have a lot of luck at the 24 hours, but they're going to be fast here. Just a quick note, by the way, about Bill Oblin. At uh, Petit Le Mans last year, he equaled Scott Pruitt's tally of all-time North American sports car championship, uh, excuse me, race wins at 60. Uh, and as of the end of last season, looking back through the history of top-line American sports car racing, there'd be 999 winners um, uh, going into the Rolex 24. That's been extended now because we have five or six new winners at Daytona, but uh, that was a thousandth different wow. race winner in uh, in uh, American sports cars. That's That includes the, uh, the USRRC, the old IMSA, uh, and, and Grand Am, and, uh, and the new IMSA as well. So, yeah, 
quite a milestone there. And there will be a big celebration for Bill when he gets that 61st, and it will happen. There's no doubt uh, to... Uh, to my mind uh, at all Uh, let's move on to the single right Porsche for Pat Long uh, Californian with a long history pardon the pun uh, of racing for Porsche in the 16 uh, car with Ryan Hardwick and Shea Um, this is uh, a significant anniversary uh, coming up this weekend for Ryan Hardwick and, and not a one that he'll really want to remember that much Well, it is, but it also, it's one that he's looking forward to overcoming. One year ago from the race day was when Ryan Hardwick had a crash at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park in the Paul Miller Racing Lamborghini that resulted in him injuring his knee to the point where he couldn't actually drive again for the remainder of the season. In that time, he's done one race. That was the Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona, in which his right motorsport team and he finished fourth. He's looking forward to getting back in the car this weekend and proving that he deserves to be in the field, that he has completely returned from that injury, and that he's worthy of driving with the other people that he's competing against. So when I talked to him briefly yesterday, he was saying that it's one of those things that it's bittersweet. Yes, it's an anniversary that you don't really want to remember, but it's definitely an anniversary that you want to overcome. Yeah, and with Pat Long in the car, couldn't have a better co-pilot to guide you through everything that needs doing. But I think he'd be hungry uh, and you know, he wants to prove himself, no doubt. Uh, we talked briefly about Magnus, John Potter and Andy Lally back with the uh, Lamborghini, the number 44, Jeremy. And, you know, a, a paddock without Maz- Magnus is a, a, is a less interesting place to be, to be quite honest, isn't it? Yeah, isn't that a fact? Yeah, great great to see them back with that Lamborghini on a full-time basis, the GRT Magnus banner they're running under this year. Uh, and effectively, they come in here as the championship leaders mm. with the number 48 car not uh, not uh, contesting this event, having won at Daytona, so that they're not the champ, they're not the real championship leaders, but they are best placed uh, in terms of points of anybody that is amongst the field coming into this weekend. So, you know, they'll be looking to build on that here at the Paul Revere 250. Uh, <laughs> 40. I- yeah, we're all going to do that. There's, there's no doubt that we're, we're all going to do that. Uh, that's the only um, Grasser car here, Shea, which means that we, we haven't got the um, we haven't got any of the other GRT cars. And, and we should say, um, first time in a long time, we, we haven't had uh, um, Catherine Legg and Christina Nielsen as well in, in the GTD field. 2013 was the last time Catherine Legg was not racing uh, full-time in the U.S. sports car scene. She was with the ALMS and the Delta Wing back in 2013. And 2014, since Christina Nielsen has not been full-time in the championship, unfortunately, it means that we go womanless for this race with uh, no female drivers in the field. Um, But they are trying to get back, watch the space. There will be updates from that team within the next couple of weeks. But yes, only the one Lamborghini, and as we just talked about the right Porsche, just the one Porsche yeah. too. So Shocking. we have nine manufacturers, yeah. and it's a lot of diversity. Yeah, absolutely. When was the last time there was only one Porsche in a in a GT uh, class that you know has had plenty uh, in the past? Let's move to Riley, the seventy-four car, Robinson, Lawson, Lawson, Ashenbach. Uh, I, I was really pleased for Lawson to get this full-time uh, seat, uh, and he'll be. Desperate to get back racing again with Gar Robinson uh, in that number 74, Riley, AMG, uh, uh, um, Jeremy. 
Yeah, indeed. So, yeah, Lawless is just a great guy, good family guy from uh, West Palm Beach in Florida these days. And, uh, you know, he's, he knows that track well. Mm. He knows the team well. Um, he knows the car well now. And they, they should be contenders, no question about it. Uh, three more to go. Compass we touched on, and I had a few text chats uh, with the guys at Compass during this big slowdown. The 76 car is back for Corey Lewis, uh, sorry, for Corey Fergus and Paul <laughs> Holton. Uh, and they, they've, they've made, I mean, they've really made the effort to be involved here because, as many people know, they're based in, in Canada and they've moved some of their operation and some of their team uh, south of the border to be able to ensure, at least, that they were going to be involved here. And this is... Uh, one of a, a of a couple, as we've mentioned, of the uh, uh, of the Sprint Cup runners in here. Shea. good good to see that Compass seventy six car back. Yeah, it is. And for Corey Fergus, it's going to be an exciting race. It's his debut in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. So he's been a staple of the Michelin Pilot Challenge for so many years now. He's been running McLarens for so many years now. He steps up another level. The seven twenty S is a different beast than he's been used to driving. That's a team they were not expecting to run at Daytona because when the schedule came out, there was no Daytona on the schedule for the Sprint Championship. They have adapted so well, though. Carl and Jill Thompson have gone above and beyond to make sure that Compass Racing is on the grid. And even just when the green flag flies, that's going to be a win for that team. Uh, Gradient, we've mentioned in passing, Till Bechtelsheimer, Mark Miller. Anything with Mark Miller in behind the wheel, you've got to take seriously until Bechtelsheimer's improved. Uh, no end, vintage race car driver for the most part. And that NSX, again, has the same issues as Compass. They weren't expecting to be here. They've had to get the different gear set, etc. Um, but that's the, the remnants of the old CJ Wilson team, now rebranded Gradient, Jeremy. And, you know, they're in it for the season. Till uh, happy to talk about the fact that without that sprint uh, season from IMSA, they probably wouldn't be here. So that you know that just underlines how what an important addition that sprint series was to the IMSA championship. True. Uh, yeah. Good, the good news for that team is that Mark Miller has plenty of experience around Daytona, and until too he raced there in the. Uh, the Michelin Pilot Challenge a few years ago as well. So at least he's got experience of the banking. That's going to help uh, Till enormously. And as Shay was saying earlier on, you know, the Acura team, they can draw on the experience from the uh, the Maya Shank Racing Acuras and, and uh, uh, H- Honda Performance Development in particular. So you know, they, they really shouldn't be behind the, the eight ball at all. Rob Furriel and Spencer Pompelli announced that their uh, IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship season on Midweek Motorsport a couple of weeks back for Hardpoint, the number 30 uh, car. This is an Audi. They've uh, had some... Uh, it is an Audi, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, the question that I asked Spencer was, what, you know, how easy or difficult is it going to be going through the season jumping out of a GT4 into a GT3 version of exactly the same car? They don't have to worry about that this weekend, but it's good to welcome another team uh, and another set of drivers in. Rob Furriol, uh, in some ways, you know, has, has been the poster boy for IMSA coming up through the development series. Yeah, and you talk about a quick learner. Rob Ferriel definitely fits that bill. Uh, he and Alan Metney are the mm-hmm. two from the GT3 Cup Challenge that I think about when you think about people who have really excelled in a very short amount of time. Rob is one of those that when you drop him into a car, he's going to figure it out in however much time you give him. So coming into this weekend, 
yep, it's going to be a learning curve, but he's got Spencer in the car with him. And Spencer is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to running at Daytona. He's got two Rolexes. He's second in, well, he's actually technically the joint championship leader uh, when the green flag goes because (laughs) he finished second at Daytona this year. So we do have a very fun situation that Spencer can sort of go up against Andy and John, his teammates in January, and say, hey, guys, I'm coming for you in the championship. Good luck. (laughs) And uh, I bet Rob will back him up the whole way. No, I I agree with that. And Rob, when we talked to him on Midweek Motorsport a couple of weeks ago, when they were announcing that effort, he's just raring to get going. They hadn't had the opportunity to test uh, that car. Uh, Rob has a bit of just, I think, one weekend in a GT3 car. Although that was a Ferrari when they did the Motorsport Games at the back end of last year, if I remember uh, rightly. Uh, You're listening to a special uh, previously on IMSA as we're getting ready for the resumption of IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Racing 4th of July, Saturday evening uh, of 6 o'clock local time, Eastern time at Daytona. Jeremy Sean, Shea Adam with me, John Hindorf. Let's go to the sharp end of the field then. Uh, and in uh, reverse, uh, no, hang on. I was going to say in reverse points order. No, we'll not. We'll just do it from the top here uh, on the list. Let's start then in DPI with Wayne Taylor Racing. They were the winners last time out. Uh, Renga von der Sander and Ryan Briscoe back together again. And it looked certainly, didn't it, Jeremy, at Daytona at the Rolex, the 24. Everything that we've said before, different mindset different type of racing here but it did look as though Wayne Taylor Racing were back right on the top of their form uh, with that glossy black number 10 Konica Minolta car it did didn't it yeah I mean they were the best of the Cadillacs uh, at the uh, the, in in many respects at the 24 and that team Wayne Taylor Racing or whatever they want to call themselves these days Konica Minolta Cadillac DPI VR is the official uh, entrant for the, the team entrant name but uh, Wayne Taylor you know his team has had a huge amount of success at Daytona over the years in fact you talked about when was the last uh, Paul Revere race at Daytona well that was 2009 right. and it was won by SunTrust Racing which was Wayne Taylor's team that was the one so, I was uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly there you go uh, so uh, you know the, the team knows how to win at Daytona and certainly will be I think the favourites going into this weekend. Uh, uh, tried and tested drivers now, Renga van der Zander um, and Ryan Briscoe. They've you know they've bonded. They've done what they've they've needed to do. That looked ominous uh, for me, uh, er, even that early in the season. They just had the look and the feel, almost the smell of a team that was on a championship hunt again, chasing them home. Share at uh, at. Daytona at the Rolex with the two Mazda, the 77 and the 55. Tristan Nunes and Ollie Jarvis, Harry Tinknell and Jonathan Bomarito. Harry uh, underlining his um, allegiance to to Multimatic uh, with uh, an extended contract with them and, and some additional uh, duties. Uh, Andy Prior doing the same thing, although not perhaps so much race driving for Andy. And th- there's a... There's a bit of a vibe for me coming out of Multimatic and Master that says, right, that's it. We've had enough of this. We we know we've got the pace. We've ironed out some of the reliability problems. Now we've got to go and win races and win a championship. Yeah, they figured out how to win races last year. Now they're trying to figure out how to win a championship this year. And the only way to figure it out is by actually doing it. Mm. Um, it's interesting when you look at the drive times coming out of the Rolex, because, of course, everybody had a third or in the case of the winning car, a fourth driver. The pairing of Ranger and Ryan, though, they haven't spent much time, just the two of them. They accounted for 59% of the total drive time. 
if we look at the Mazdas in the 77, which was the car that came home second, Ollie and Tristan shared the car for 73% of the time. They really have this bonding down. They got the race win last year at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. Then if you look at the other Mazda that we were just talking about with Harry and Jonathan, they were 63% of the time, the rest of it being Ryan Hunter Ray. So it's very interesting to see which of the cars in the field were more comfortable playing off of their super secret ace that was brought in just for that race versus who really trusted their full season pairing. And Lena Gade, never doubt the Gade, Head of the 77, she trusted her boys more. Yeah, and she went across, was one of the many uh, based in Europe who went across early to make sure that they uh, satisfied the uh, the isolation regulations into the, the US. It was the summer of Mazda last year, Jeremy, so we, we do know that those uh, lovely Mazda DPIs uh, have... You know, have got the pace, even when it's it's warm weather. Um, and they really need to get off to a good start of this season. Second and third at Daytona, pretty good. They'll want to underline that performance here this weekend. Yeah, well, second and fifth. Uh, they, second and fifth, excuse me. Yeah. But, uh, but yes, I mean, the car was certainly faster. That was, uh, it was, it was super fast. I mean, the, the, the fastest lap of the, uh, of the race, I think, was actually set by uh, Renko van der Zander at uh, Daytona. But uh, the 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 uh, the Mazdas they were trimmed trimmed down a little bit in terms of the ultimate potential for the 24-hour race. No question about that. They've got the pace uh, in qualifying. Oliver Jarvis been on the pole there the last two years. New track records. Uh, so that is certainly going to be the fastest car. And as you said at uh, at Daytona, even with the car, uh, you know pegged back a little bit in terms of looking for the, the longevity and the consistency for a 24-hour race compared to a sprint race. Uh, this week, you know, this weekend, no no major concerns. There. They know that car can run uh, yes. two hours and 40 minutes without any difficulty. So they're going to be able to run flat out. And I think in terms of pace, they have to be, the, I talked about the number 10 car being the favorite going into the, into the weekend, but the Mazdas uh, also are going to be super fast as well. And I think they're going to be hard to beat. I think we've got a cracking race at the, the head of the field and it's fab that everybody no who's come back from the, the Rolex. One or two changes, of course, at, uh, at Mustang sampling in the off season. Joao Barbosa and Sebastian Bourdais, though, uh, gelled pretty well, Jeremy. Uh, and that car, uh, it, you know, it would have been easy to to, to write off uh, the with the issues that um, that they had at the changing over of teams and 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 moving across with the, with the sponsor. But but their result at, at Daytona was actually very good indeed, and that sets them up for a good run into the start of the season. Yeah, indeed. So yeah, came away with the, a podium finish there from the from the twenty four hours and good pace as well. Lloyd Duvalet was actually was fastest uh, in that car in the race. He set the second fastest lap overall uh, behind only Renko van der Zander. So yeah, the car was fast. Uh, we yeah we, we know a lot about uh, both Joao Barbosa and Sebastian Bourdais. None of those are uh, any question marks about them in terms of experience and ability. So. Yeah, again, another potential front runner. I think we're going to be seeing that on a regular basis to go through this field. Oh, absolutely yeah. right. The, the other JDC car is the 85 car, Tristan Vautier and and Chris Miller. And again, you know, there's a, a, there's a, a, a pair here who have started to to work uh, or who are working very well together. And and the JDC concern, there was a lot of people who raised an eyebrow and thought, mm, will they be able to run? Uh, two cars competitively, well, we saw at Daytona that that wasn't a problem for them. 
Yeah, both cars ran well. We had the third place finish for the five and a fifth place finish for the 85. There's still a lot of question over the driver situation in that car. Uh, Tristan and Chris will be driving for the team at Daytona, but it should be a different pairing when we come to Road America. So they are still trying to incorporate their other drivers that they have in their stable. So that is still up in the air. But when you look at the entirety of the DPI field, out of the 16 drivers, 10 of them have won the race before, whether it's overall or in class, including that number 85 card, Chris Miller with the class win back in 2016 in PC. So there's no denying that each car is capable of winning. Uh, Penske, six and seven cars, Jeremy. Uh, For me, one of the best-looking prototypes I've ever seen. And and I I put it that high. I think it's a lovely bit of design and engineering for uh, that Acura. Um, Dan Cameron and Juan Pablo Montoya, there were some people suggesting that Juan wouldn't be around for the 2020 season. What we saw at Daytona was a much happier Juan Pablo Montoya. And when he's happy, he's even quicker than normal. Ricky Tiller and Elio Castro Neves, um, they've... They've done a really good job as well. But Penske, I mean, they're, it's a big name. Penske, Roger Penske himself talking about, you know, potentially going to Le Mans with the new regulations and the uh, the bringing together of the ACO prototypes and the IMSA prototypes. Um, it, it's It's been... By Penske's very own high standards, Jeremy, it, you know, it's it's been not a great first year. They did really well last year, and now they've got to do it again because it's effectively reset, and, and Roger doesn't take anything other than pretty close to per- perfection. Indeed so. And, you know, my Pablo Motor, I mean, he, he he loves driving this car. He, I mean, he's, he's had a smile on his face ever since he first hopped behind the wheel of it. Uh, and uh, he and Dane Cameron, it's a tremendous pairing, those two, because Dane Cameron is uh, an absolute superstar, uh, as, it, as of course, already uh, when Pablo Montoya has shown him to be that, that all, all the way through his career. So it's a great driver pairing. Uh, for this weekend, the Acuras are going to have a little bit more uh, turbo boost than before. Uh, a boost of about 10%. So that's going to help them on the straights. That car was lacking a little bit in overall pace at over the uh, Rolex 24 weekend. So that should be rectified for this weekend. And yeah, don't count out the Acuras by any means. They're going to be fast. And the final car then that we're going to talk about in the DPI field is the number 31, Pete Durrani and uh, Philippe Nazar. And again, one or two changes there, Sheer, but... But again, when you've got drivers like that, and, and Pete Durrani in particular, on his day, which he has a, a lot of good days, he's as quick as anybody. And you can say exactly the same about Philippe Nazar. Yeah, if you think about people being hungry to get back to racing, it's almost as if these two have been fasting and are ravenous when it comes to getting back to the track. The Action Express racing as a whole, as an umbrella, shrunk down to one car in the offseason. But it's Team Brazil that's still around with the Whalen Engineering crew. They have the, the advantage of having an organization of men and women who have worked together for such a long time. Almost a bit like Corvette racing, that one another knows what they're going to do without even thinking about it. So in terms of people coming to the track, being allowed to set up their tent and then having a session two hours later there's going to be a big time crunch. Mm. I put the advantage in Wheel and Engineering's court because they are so used to working together that they don't have to think about it. Their pit yep. stops, they don't need to practice because they already know what one another is going to do. Uh, 
Are, are we going to see... So that's the field in, in DPI, and we've talked about every car, every one of the 26 that will be there. I think 26 is a good number. Uh, I frankly thought that anything around about 23, 24, 25 would be good. Anything over that would be very good. And anything near 30 would have been extraordinary. So I think 26 is, is very good, Jeremy. Um, there are a few little tweaks to the sporting regulations. There's not going to be as many people in the paddock. Uh, a lot of the team PRs certainly won't be in the infield. One or two of them will be in the, the old press room uh, facility or where the old press room used to be in the new facility on the, the outside of the track. So it is going to be a different, a, a different atmosphere uh, at the circuit and and in some respects the teams themselves the guys that's running the cars whether they're driving them or spannering on them they've got to put that to the back of their minds and just do their jobs indeed uh and, yeah they've had the, the protocols have been in in the hands of the teams now for probably a month or so wasn't it when the Imps 30, first announced 36 all the... pages of them yes exactly <laughs> so yeah there's been a lot to digest but they had it in plenty of time uh, the teams they've had nothing nothing better to do than make sure they got all those protocols nailed down and, and memorized and you know so they they, they would have practiced all of that there's been an awful lot of pit, pit stop practice being done back in the shops over the last few weeks so you know it's uh, it, everybody's going to be antsy to get going again uh, some of the drivers will be a bit rusty but I don't think the teams will mm. uh, but it's going to be I think it's just going to be I, I, I'm so excited for I think for, for what is in store for us this weekend uh, I'll ask you um in a moment, if you can pick a winner, um, I think it's difficult. I really do. Uh, let's quickly, oh. run, <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's quickly run through the revised schedule. And there was a more recent, a most recent uh, revision just last Friday announced by uh, John Doonan with a few little nips and tucks. Uh, so it's the IMSA WeatherTech 240 at Daytona uh, this weekend, July 3rd and 4th, with a bit of practice. Uh, on the Friday evening and then final practice qualifying and the race on Saturday for 2 hours and 40 minutes there's the 2.40 also 2 hours and 40 minutes for the Cadillac Grand Prix of Sebring uh, which is July 16th to 18th and we do get uh, a couple of the development series there as well in the IMSA Prototype Challenge and Michelin Pilot Challenge opening uh, their uh, accounts uh, for the resumption. Road America, July 31st to August the 2nd, and the WeatherTech version of that is 2 hours and 40 minutes. Then uh, it's off to the Michelin GT Challenge at VIR again, 2 hours and 40 minutes, and that's been uh, put back to the Saturday, August 22nd. Uh, So that race has been moved to the Saturday rather than the Sunday of the 23rd. Uh, Still in six hours. And the the reason for that, of course, is so it doesn't clash with the 500. Correct. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Then still in six hours of the Glen, um, which was going to be a bit later in the season, but that would have had all of the long races together. The teams made some representation about that, and IMSA being IMSA, so, so that was a reasonable uh, a reasonable uh, argument that the teams had. And so that's now September the 4th to 6th. That is its uh, usual six hours, of course. Northeast Grand Prix up at Lime Rock Park, back to two hours and 40 minutes. And that's September 11th and 12th. Then we're at the Mid-Ohio for the Acura Sports Car Challenge, also two hours and 40 minutes, September 25th to 27th. Motul Petit Le Mans, 15th to the 17th of October for 10 hours. And that's time certain, of course, uh, in these days. Then the newly named Hyundai Mon- Monterey Sports Car Championship uh, then moves to October the 30th to November the 1st. And we finish off with the Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring presented by Advanced Auto Parts, 12th to 14th of November. I, I think a quick thought from, from 
both of you about that. I do think those revisions, Jeremy, that, that broke up the longer races towards the end of the, the season because they were all pretty much back-to-back. I know that there was uh, ad- advances made by the teams. They've been heard. That seems uh, listening to its uh, listening uh, to its stakeholders again. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the, the, the calendar makes uh, eminent sense. It really does. And you know, we've got Watkins Glen and Lime Rock uh, back-to-back uh, for the GT contenders. Uh, at the uh, beginning of September. But uh, again, you know, the good news there is Watkins Glen and Lime Rock, there's not much travelling involved no, there. Exactly. So you can go from, from one straight to the other one to be a Saturday race at Lime Rock. And yeah, I think that schedule now, it's, um, it's really nicely as well spaced out as you could possibly be uh, given the condensed nature of the schedule for this year's season. So yeah, hats off to Imps there for really uh, thinking about that, working with the teams, working with the tracks. Uh, and yeah, and hats off also to the tracks for working with Imps to make it all point. these dates possible. Uh, all Everything I suppose Shea still has to have an asterisk alongside it because you know things could change between yes. now and uh, and the end of the season. But as Jeremy says, there that's that's sensible. It's spread out. Um, there's only one back to back there, and they're both in roughly the same part uh, of the country. I, I have seen some series calendars over here in Europe and and further afield where you know it's back to back to back to back to back. Well, you know this is not like that. It does. There's not a lot of time to breathe for the teams. But there is a bit of time to breathe for the teams. Yeah, and it, it's a much more um, logical schedule for the way it is now that we go to Lime Rock Park, for example, the second week of September instead of going around Halloween when a lot of locals were telling me that it often snows at that point yeah. in the year. So uh, I really do like the schedule and there's only one race that I'll potentially need a sweater for. So, uh, yeah, I'm a happy camper. OK, I said I was going to ask you, DPI winner, Jeremy Shaw at the weekend. And, uh, you know, beyond that, who's still in with the champion? Who's going to be the championship contenders? Uh, they're all going to be uh, potential winners this weekend. Uh, I think the Acuras are going to be, I, I, I perhaps would put my money on, on an Acura. Uh, but, but oh, crikey, I mean, it's going to be, it, it really is a coin toss at this stage in the game. Championship, I don't know, can Mazda? Pull it, pull it off yeah, this season. Yeah, it's it certainly isn't beyond the realm of possibility. Sure, uh, Mazda uh, for the championship, maybe says Jeremy. Not beyond the realms of possibility. What about this weekend? Who comes out the traps quickest after the resumption in play? Uh, um, after their strong performance, after the two pole positions, I have to think that Oli Jarvis and Tristan Nunez are going to finally get it done Mm -hmm. at Daytona. Even though it's not the 24-hour, I just think that there's something missing from them uh, doing it there. But I also have to say my dark horse would be that 31, the Whalen Engineering Mm -hmm. Cadillac, because those guys, that team, they've been preparing for this for such a long time that it's almost as if the five-month gap has been an advantage for them. Well, they always run up, roll off the truck very, very well. And with a compressed weekend, that, that's a good shout. Uh, Jeremy Shaw and Shea Adam will be joining me, John Hindoff, on IMSA Radio and IMSA TV for the coverage. Uh, check the website for details at radio-show.co.uk. Not long to wait now. We're going back to racing in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, and we'll have it all live throughout the year on RS2, IMSA Radio, and in Sound and Vision. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.